Are you sure you're ready this morning? Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We'll look at 11 through 21. And as you're turning there, I'll remind you where we've been. As last time, Paul began to delve deeper into specifically what he meant when he said in 4 verse 1, I as the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now he began with the fact that while the church is diverse in its peoples, it is singular in its purpose. We all share the same Holy Spirit. We are all servants of the one God who is our one hope, who is our one Lord, and in whom there is one faith and one baptism. This is still true today. There's only one church. Man likes to slap labels on just about everything. Oh, we're this denomination, we're that denomination. Paul talked about being of a Paul, a Paul or Apollos, or I'm of this guy or that guy. And listen, if you're born again, you're part of the church. And there's only one. Amen? Amen. Now, he says, in the one church, it was given apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the purpose of equipping the church for the work of ministry. And we got to get away from this thinking that the only ones that are in ministry are those who are vocational ministers. You're ministers too. You've been commissioned too. You're to go to the world and preach the gospel too. It's not just me. You know, I, I had a, a pretty lengthy conversation with someone yesterday uh, who was concerned that their pastor doesn't preach the gospel every Sunday. And I said to this lady, that's because you're supposed to every day. That's what we're here to do. We're here to be equipped so you can do the work of ministry. Now, I have to do my part, right? We all have to be on it every day, all day, but it's going to take us all to get it done. And Paul's going to say that there are things that hinder that process that we need to deal with within the church. He said, listen, the one church is not to be tossed to and fro with every fad that blows through the church, every type of doctrine that people like to hear. He added that the much needed truth for all of us is that if we are indeed hearing from Jesus, we are going to follow after him in the manner that he has prescribed. Now, that implies that there are people who use Jesus' name and yet do not know him nor do they follow him. Now, he said examples of being light and no longer being darkness. It's things like not lying. And he incorporated not stealing as a part of the life of those who once were darkness, not in darkness, but were darkness, who are now light. Now, he reminded the church that anger is not a sin. Right? Anger is not a sin. God is angry with the wicked every day. God doesn't sin, so anger is not a sin. However, anger can lead to sin, and that's what Paul was warning against. And he said, you know what? Keep short accounts. Don't let the stuff fester. Don't let bitterness creep in. And that doesn't mean that we have to, as the adage says today, forgive and forget. There are some things you can't ever forget that happened to you. There are things that are painful that you will carry with, your, with you your whole life. And you can remember them, yet forgive them. Because a lot of times forgiveness is for you. It's not for the other person. Because they don't care whether you forgive them or not. And then they're even going to ask you for it. But you extend it for your own benefit. So you don't become bitter and all of its companions that travel with that. 
Now, Paul basically summarized the Christian experience by saying this in 5.1, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. If you're a child of God, you're supposed to imitate God, right? So you kind of need to know what he's all about and how he operates and what's important to him. Now, last time we were in Ephesians, we visited our, our word for the year in 2 Corinthians last week. But two weeks ago, we played off a title of a well-known book that I would not recommend. Please don't spend your money on it unless you're going to line the bottom of your birdcage. <laughs> and our title last week was Your Blessed Life Now. Not your best life now. If this is your best life now, what a disappointment. <laughs> our best life is the next life. Amen? Amen? But we can live a blessed life now. We learned three things about imitating God and walking worthy of our calling. And they were, first of all, life can only be fully blessed through living for God. That's the only way we can experience all the blessings God has intended us to have in this life is to live for Him. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, we also made the note that no sin can ever make any Christian's life better. No sin is going to enhance our life experience. As a matter of fact, it's going to grieve the Holy Spirit and in turn grieve you. And we are not to live a grievous Christian experience. We are to be filled with joy. And hope. Okay, listen, I'm not going any further until you guys get on board here. Now, we also noted that the less we're like the world, the more blessed our lives will be. And that's just a simple lit litmus test. Listen, if the world is doing this, probably not something we ought to be doing. Probably not a way we ought to be thinking. And certainly the actions would go in tow with those things. Now, the world has nothing to contribute to our spiritual health and well-being. Everything the world will contribute is to their detriment. We're not going to learn how to live a life for God in a manner that's pleasing to him from the world. They'll teach us what not to do. Now, this is where Paul is going to go as he takes us in this handbook of the Christian faith about not only the things we are to guard in our own lives and not allow to infiltrate the church, but he's going to now start dealing with what happens when they slip through. What happens when something that ought not to be part of walking in the light makes its way into a person's life or a church? Now, there's an admonishment in our text to awake you who sleep and arise from the dead. And we're going to discuss that in detail in a moment. But I wanted to introduce that phrase so we can get to our title, which is timely. And we're going to deal with some stuff today. Okay? Did you come here to get your ears tickled? Did you come here to hear fables? or have something emotional happen to you, or do you want facts and truth? Well, we're getting facts and truth this morning, and it's going to deal with an issue that is rampant in the church today, and our title is that Christians are supposed to be awake, not woke. Awake, not woke is our title. Now, according to the Urban Dictionary, woke is white people thinking they understand minorities' problems. That's the definition. White people, who obviously have to be stupid and cannot understand anybody else's problems because of skin color, forgetting that there's only one race, which is the human race, and the only reason there are any skin tones at all is because God separated people by language and people began to incorporate in that way and the genetic pool became shallower and therefore people started to look alike but you take off the peel and they're all the same. And somehow this has been cast aside 
in our world today. Now, for the church, wokeness is nothing new. There are people in recent years who say, you know what? The age-old model of Jeremiah 6.16 asks for the old path where the good way is. We need a new path for the good way. There is no new path for the good way. There's an old path, and it is the good way. And it's the only way to find rest for your souls. Now, in 1 Corinthians 5, 1-5, Paul said this. Here's an example of what a woke church looked like in the first century. He said, it is actually reported. We could paraphrase that as Paul said, I can't even believe. It is actually reported that there is sexuality, uh, sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality, it's not even named among the Gentiles. Now remember, Paul is writing to a city where temple prostitutes and orgies and these other things were the norm. And Paul is saying, you know what? Church, you're letting something happen that is even worse than what they're doing out in the city. And he said, this isn't even named among the Gentiles. And that is some, can I paraphrase this for you? Okay. Some dude is sleeping with a stepmom. <coughs> and then he said, and you're all puffed up about it because you're overlooking it. And then he says, you haven't mourned instead like you should that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. For I indeed, as absent in body but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there's a pronouncement, amen. When you are gathered together along with my spirit, Paul meaning me spiritually agreeing with it, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his what? Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, today, woke churches say sexual acts that violate God's word are okay because we have decided collectively that it is unfair for God to restrict sexual activity between a married man and woman. People who are in love ought to be able to do what they want. Is that not the world's determination of sexual activity today? Yes. It has, huh? Yes. It has no place in the church. We don't get our definitions from the world. We get them from the Word of God. The, the awake church, in contrast, says God's Word has defined permissible sexual activity, and it doesn't matter what we think or feel. God is always right, and when we disagree with Him, we're the ones who are wrong. Uh, we have to remember, God doesn't have a suggestion box. You know, Lord, I think this thing, it, it's kind of outdated. You know, people aren't really into that anymore. So you have to change your statutes. Uh, that never reaches his ears. That falls on the floor as a prayer. Amen? Amen? Now, today's definition of tolerance has no place in the church either. We're not of the world. We're not like the world. And we've been hearing over and over and over from Paul that being light means that you are not like this darkening world. And since the church is people, Paul is talking about waking up Christians to what he has called them to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, stop being so quiet, <laughs> because it is exciting to be corrected sometimes, or to be convicted sometimes. I've said this many, many times here. I've said it all over the world, literally. Listen, if your church never said any, says anything that convicts you, you need to find a new one. Because the first ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin. 
and he wrote this book. So we might straighten some stuff out this morning, but you're okay with that because you're really saved. Right? All right, let's do this. Ephesians 5, 11, 21. Stand and read them with me, please, in honor of the perfect and infallible word of God. Ephesians 5, let's pick it up where we left off, starting in verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Lord, we believe you are who your book says you are. We believe you are the authority over all creation. We believe the entirety of your word is truth. We believe you bought us back from the law of sin and death and imputed to us the righteousness of your Son. So, Lord, help us, God, to understand the importance of living in a manner that is pleasing to you and thus glorifying to you. Help us in that, we pray, and give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, I think it's worth noting that we back up one verse where we left off last time, where Paul says in verse 10, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And then, obviously, there's going to be a connection between 10 and 11. He says, finding out what's acceptable to the Lord. And then the very next thing he says is, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. That's the first thing that he highlights as acceptable, acceptable practices in the Lord. Now, fellowship means to share company with. It can also mean to communicate with. And Paul described this regarding the same scenario we read a moment ago in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 to 13, where he said, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of the world or with the covetous or the extortioners or idolaters, since then you'd need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a what? Brother, a fellow believer who is sexually immoral, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, not to even eat with such a person, which was clearly symbolic of fellowship. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside, inside meaning the church, but those who are outside, who judges them? God. Therefore, put away from yourself the evil person. I can't even tell you how many times I've seen people take out of context that we are not to judge. We're to judge one another according to the Word of God. That's what Paul says here. There is a role for judgment in, and the source of definition of, of why we judge, we'll talk about in a few moments. But this is our responsibility to one another. And not to be puffed up like many are today and said, you know, we are open to all 
sexual identities and genders at this church. We're open to all these things, and this is a, an open church, so to speak. Well, listen, sexual activity is a closed system according to the one who invented it. And that's God. It's between a husband and wife, and those are the boundaries. Amen? And that husband is a genetic male. And the wife is a genetic biological female. Amen? Now, since we are to go to the world and preach the gospel, and since fellowship includes unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace that we share as a family of believers, not having fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness is in reference to the unrepentant, practicing, sinning person who is or is claiming to be a Christian. Do not keep company with or communicate with such a person. And people will say, but wait, wait a minute. Isn't the loving thing to stand beside them and let all the world know that we are his disciples by the love we have one for another? Well, I think the answer to that is, does God love us? That's not a trick question. Come on now. Does God love us? Does he rebuke and chasten us? So the two can be compatible one with the other, right? You can love someone and rebuke them and chasten them. And this is what Paul is talking about. And the point he's making is about things done by unrepentant and repeated practicing of believers of things that the Bible has identified as sin. The church is to be a light that exposes darkness. And those are idioms for good and evil, light and darkness, that is. And think about this. The church is the only source of light that the world has. But if the church is filled with darkness, what light does the world have? It has none. And this is why he's talking about this. And it would be foolish for us to act as though this is something that's easy to do. When someone we know, someone we love has gotten off course and is practicing things that the Bible is defined to be as either prohibited or just downright sinful in the eyes of God. And yet, we're told that we are to have no fellowship, cut off communication and turn such a one over to Satan. And God, again, is the one who authored these things. And he's always right. What in the world are you doing out there? He's always right. And if he said that's how you handle it, then that's how you handle it, right? But this is probably the greatest failure in the church today is to handle these things. Now listen, there's plenty of sin sniffers out there. But the problem with the sin sniffer is they define sin themselves and it's things they don't agree with or matters of their own opinion or emotion. Now, there are too many woke churches out there that are filled with people who are actually doctrinally asleep. I can't believe the things that people will sit and listen to today who claim to be Christians. Man, in some of these churches, there ought to be a stampede when something stupid comes from behind the... Well, maybe I better pick another word because I, I remember that time I said something stupid. Okay, there were more than one, but you know what I mean? I'm talking about heretical, just downright heretical. There was a guy in a church up in Northern California who was filling in for the very famous uh, lead pastor. And he told the congregation, I saw the video, I heard his words with my own ears. He said, you know, I I had a, a vision and I was in here praying and getting ready. And he said, in this vision, Jesus came to me and he wrapped his arms around me. And Jesus said to me, 
Get that. Listen, are you listening? He said, Jesus said to me, please forgive me. Because what that pastor said to you that hurt you so bad was like me saying it to you. And you know what happened instead of a stampede? People sitting in the front row, tears running down their faces because of this moment they were having with a liar. Jesus isn't going to ask us for forgiveness. He's the reason we have forgiveness. Verse 14, Paul says, On account of this, or therefore, awake you who sleep, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And this beautiful quote, some see as Paul taking portions of Old Testament scriptures, and many of the commentators actually list a series of verses that he used to compile this statement. But I don't believe that. And I don't believe that because that's a very risky practice. To take this sentence from this verse and pair it with this sentence from that verse and this sentence from that verse, you can make the Bible say whatever you want. You want to know how dangerous that is? Here's two examples. Judas went out and hanged himself. Go thou and do likewise. Those are Bible verses, right? I don't think that Paul was taking a a kind of a cut and paste approach to this. I would side with those who say this was a baptismal hymn that was sung when first century Christians were being baptized. Awake you who sleep, symbolizing coming out of the deadness and darkness and now rising from the dead in the light of Christ. What a beautiful hymn to sing when others are getting baptized. And Paul reminds us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 to 6, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. Of course, the language here would include daughters. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not what? Let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. And Paul is giving a doctrinal wake-up call to Christians here that we should heed in this day and especially at a time such as this. And here's a reminder for us all. I actually had a lengthy conversation uh, with a group of ladies about this yesterday at the conference and just so happened that somebody asked me a question about what I was going to teach today. Hmm, maybe God's in control of everything, right? Our first thing to consider this morning as the church of 2021 and the last season of the church age. Listen, the goal of the church is to be light, not be light. The goal of the church is to be light, not light. We're not here to win a popularity contest. And the church needs to wake up to the fact that Jesus was crucified by the world he came to save. So why would we expect them to love us? He said we'd be hated by all for his name's sake. He said in the Sermon on the Mount, right after the Beatitudes in 11 to 12 of chapter 5, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. That's our default behavior, right? And say all kinds of evil against you. What? Falsely, when people lie about you for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven For so they persecuted the prophets before you. In other words, Jesus is saying, everybody who represents me is going to have this experience. This is how it's going to be. You're not going to be liked. And in Matthew 10, 21 to 22, he goes even deeper. He goes into the household and he says, now, 
Brother will deliver up brother to what? Death. Death. And a father is child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by how many? All. All. For what reason? His name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Now listen, the world would like nothing more than for the church to become like them. To become more tolerant and accepting according to their definitions. And to allow things that the Bible prohibits and identifies as unfruitful works of darkness. But we have to remember that church can't be light when it's filled with darkness. With its members practicing things, as Paul said, that are so shameful. They shouldn't even be spoken of. The word exposed means to tell a fault. And that includes the faults of the sinful shepherd. And listen, everybody has their struggles, right? Pastors are people too. Even though some would disagree with that. Subhuman, some seem to think, according to the comments on social media. But listen to what Paul said to Timothy in 5, 9 to 20, 19 to 20. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sitting rebuke where? In the presence of all. Why? That the rest also may fear. And listen, there's some awful stuff that's been happening of late with men who stand behind the pulpit. And there has been so much disobedience in this regard that it's shameful that this is going on in the church. Listen, I told you a couple of weeks ago that the most dangerous job on the planet is not to be a soldier. The most dangerous job on the planet is to be a Bible teacher because theirs is a stricter judgment. God is listening to every word that is said in his name and they will be judged according to what they said and how they twisted his word. And listen, whether it be the pastor or the sheep, sin is defined by God, not opinion, emotions, or feelings. And this is why I think Paul wrote to Timothy what he, what he did because everybody's got an opinion about this pastor or that pastor and that's what the word elder is referring to. You know, I don't, I don't like how they do this. I don't, I don't like how they do that. Somebody might say about me, I don't like no bare knuckle preacher. I want him with fuzzy gloves on and, you know, somebody's going to tickle my ears and all that stuff, you know. This isn't about opinion. This is sin defined by the Word of God. Those who are sinning according to God's definitions need to be rebuked in the presence of all. Now, because we live in the internet age and all of a sudden everything can reach the whole globe in a matter of moments, I want to give you a word of wisdom from Warren Wiersbe. He said, the confession of sin shouldn't be any bigger than its circle of impact. We don't need to be blabbing it all over the planet that so-and-so did this. We got enough reasons for the church to have a black eye, right? And we're not to take our matters before the unsaved world. And those who indeed have been impacted by something, that matter needs to be told to those who it has impacted. And that would include a church family that has had a pastor who's been sleeping around or uh, getting drunk or hooked on pornography or any of those things unrepentantly and defending and continuing in their position. Paul says, when that matter is confirmed by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the sinning elder is to be rebuked in the presence of all, so others may fear. Have you ever done anything and hoped you didn't get caught? You know what you call that? Fear. 
And that's exactly what's being talked about here. And listen, this, this is like, this is probably the, the heaviest verse in the New Testament, what I'm about to read. These two verses have to be the most radical verses in the New Testament, and those that confirm them would go with it. Ah, so let's just skip it. It's just too... <laughs> you ready for this? Yeah. Buckle up. Here it comes. Listen. If anyone... Say anyone. anyone. If anyone sees his brother sitting a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask. And he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. And I do not say that he should pray about that. This is John the Beloved talking. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. Well, Romans says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, the wages of sin is the second death. The consequence of sin in the garden is the first death. And most people, except for one generation, and I think it's us, is going to experience the first death. So because all sin does lead to death, what he's talking about here when he mentions sin not leading to death, he can't be talking about the second death. He has to be talking about the first death, that there are sins in this life committed by Christians that lead to their death. Now, that's heavy, right? And I thought we needed to include this as an example of things that the church twists to make it seem more likable or palatable. When John says there's sins leading to death and says not leading to death, that tells us John's talking about, as I said, not the first but the second death. And Paul talked about this and gives us clarity in his letter to the Corinthian church again. He says in regards to the love feast and the communion table, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks what? Judgment to himself, not discerning, implied importance, of the Lord's body. Now, tune in. You still here? Yeah. Listen to this. For this reason, for not discerning the Lord's body, for treating His blood as common, and eating and drinking in an unworthy manner, for this reason, many are what? Weak. Many are sick, and some even sleep or die. For if we would judge ourselves... We would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by who? The Lord. You know what this is saying? That we may not be condemned by the world. This is saying that that weakness, that sickness, and that death is from God. No, that's too Old Testament. God doesn't operate that way. You're going to have a hard time pitching that to Ananias and Sapphira. Just go to Acts chapter 5. That's in the church age. That's not in the OT. That's in the New Testament. Amen? Now, you know what? This is not something we hear often, and do you want to know why? Because we don't like it. We don't like hearing that kind of stuff. Hey, this is the age of grace. We want flowers and petals and fairy dust and all these other things. But you know what? Hebrews doesn't say God used to be a consuming fire, but somebody put that fire out. 
He's still a consuming fire. Amen? He still is yet today. And listen, this is not something we often hear because of the reasons we stated, but the world doesn't like to hear that they're going to hell. You know, I hear that in, in, in the woke church today. People say, you know what? People don't want to hear about condemnation. People don't want to hear that they're going to hell without Jesus like they used to. Like people used to, oh, I'm going to hell? Gosh, what a lovely thought. Thank you. <laughs> Nobody ever thought that way. Nobody ever wanted to hear that they're going to hell. Nobody ever wanted to hear that they're a sinner. Nobody has ever wanted to hear that they're not good enough to enter into the pearly gates on their own merit. Nobody's ever liked that. Nobody's ever wanted to hear it. But it's always been true. Amen. And it's still true today. Now listen, too many today are trying to become likable. You know, we've got, we've just got a, we've got a package for you. We've got an offer that you cannot refuse. And listen, the offer is this. You don't have Jesus, you're going to hell. And that's it. That's the gospel message. You know, I think it was Pastor Jack mentioned yesterday, and this is one of my favorite Old Testament stories. I mean, Jonah had a problem with what God wanted to do. You know, he was mad at God because he knew, you know what? I knew you'd forgive them. I knew you'd do that. So he didn't want to preach. So he arrived on the shore by an interesting mode of transport at the place he should have been. And, and Jack gave it just an awesome description of him being stinky and smelly. And, and, you know, can you imagine somebody three days in the belly of a great fish getting puked up on the shore coming into town with all that gnarly stuff all over him saying, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Man, I'd listen to that, wouldn't you? But Jonah didn't want to go because he knew that God was merciful. But listen, I think the most important thing about that was Jonah's message. Do you know that the whole city of Nineveh, from the king to the slave, committed their lives to the Lord? Why? Did Jonah bring flowers and petals and fairy dust? He said, you're going down. You got 40 days and you're going down. The Assyrians were a wicked and a vile people. Some of the things historians have recorded about them were heinous. There were practices like ISIS and the things that they do today, putting hooks in the noses of those that they captured putting them on sticks and impaling them on a rod and covering them with oil or skinning them alive. This is what the Assyrians were. And Jonah's message was, in essence, your behavior has aroused the wrath of God and you're going down and he's given you 40 days to turn things around. What happened? Turn things around. That revival in Nineveh lasted for a whole generation. And you know what? The fact that the next generation didn't carry on with it was their fault, not God's fault. And you know what? Our generation today needs to hear that same message. Amen. Judgment's coming. It's coming. The signs are all around us. But so many today say, you know, people just aren't into that kind of message. They're just not into the judgment thing. They, they prefer the best life now kind of thing. You know, wouldn't it be better to have a life filled with trials and tribulations and walk streets of gold in a city where the gates are a single pearl whose builder and maker is God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Wouldn't that be better to put up with being disliked 
in this life. This is the question that this lady came to me and her two daughters came to me with last night. My family won't talk to me anymore because they say I talk about Jesus too much. What do I do? Talk about Jesus more. <laughs> and I told them what I've told you I don't know how many times. You know, we have to remember there's power in his name because of what his name means. And if that's all you can muster out of your mouth because of fear or intimidation of public sharing, and a lot of people are like that, right? A lot of people are intimidated by street witnessing and those kind of things. So just say Jesus. Just say Jesus. If that's all you can say, just say Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Do you know what you just heard? God is salvation, God is salvation, God is salvation, God is salvation, God is salvation. Is that not the gospel? Yes, yes. We are saved by the power of his name. And listen, our world needs to hear that judgment is coming and Jesus is the way to avoid it. They're not going to like it, but that's not our goal. Our goal is to be light, not light. Do we have any time left? Yeah, I guess we can keep going. No. Look at 15 to 17 for a quick glance. So Paul says, You who are asleep to the fact that you are to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, wake up, rise from the dead. And then he says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, Walk, again, a euphemism for living out the Christian experience. And Paul says this is to be done circumspectly, which means perfectly or even diligently. And Paul then says, if you don't walk perfectly or diligently, then the other option is to live foolishly and thus unwisely. Anybody here ever make a foolish decision? One that you regretted for some time even? Now listen, the fact that only people can understand the will of the Lord who are the people of the Lord underscores again that what Paul is talking about and what we're reading about is in regards to the church, not the world, because the church can't get it. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man cannot discern the things of God because they're spiritual, nor can he know them. It's only you and I can understand what God's will is and thus walk circumspectly. And Paul says by implication that we are to redeem the time, which is an accounting term, meaning to buy up or buy back from the power of another. Isn't that what Jesus did? He bought us back from the grip of Satan. We were held under his power. He paid the redemption price in his own blood. That's worth something there. Now, figuratively, redeem means to rescue from loss. And within the context of these verses, it's saying, Living foolishly is a waste of time. You are wasting your time to live for foolish things, the practices of the world. And he's saying through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that instead of wasting time by walking or living in unfruitful works of darkness, walk exactly like the Lord told us to do. And you who are asleep, meaning not bearing fruit, wake up and understand this is God's will. And in Mark 16, 19 to 20, we're told after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere. The last verse in Mark says, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the what? Accompanying signs. Remember that phrase, confirming the word through accompanying signs. Now in Acts 4, 29 to 31, the Lord uh, 
Lord, look on their threats is the prayer and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to what? And that what? Signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place that they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they did what? Spoke the word of God with boldness. Too many people have the order out of place today. They try and manufacture miracles for experience sake. They teach the ability to do what cannot be learned, which is a gift of God. God distributes the gift individually as he wills. Listen, save your money. Don't go to the school of miracles. If God doesn't give you the gift, you ain't getting it, and you're not going to do any miracles. Don't go and learn how to be a prophet. You can't learn that. God gives it. God grants it. Don't uh, waste your time driving up to Northern California and attending one of those uh, classes or courses. It's a waste of time. Where are you? Yeah. Amen. Okay, just check it. Now, I didn't want to look up. I thought maybe the rapture happened. You're so quiet or something. I missed it. Now, I'm not going to miss it. I'm going with you all in a group plan. Amen. Now, why is this important? And I'm going to mesh together a couple of things going on in the, in the church today. And this is a reminder for us all. Listen, the mission of the church is to save souls, not promote signs, wonders, or social justice. Amen. The mission of the church is to save souls, not promote signs, wonders, or social justice. Now, these are major areas where much of the church has defected from the truth. Are we supposed to stand against injustice? injustice? Of course we are. I mean, that's what good and decent people do, right? And we have been made good and decent through Christ. As a matter of fact, the world is okay with people wallowing in injustice. As a matter of fact, they create it. And we're the only ones who can stand against it. God is a defender of widows and orphans, which implies we are supposed to stand up for those who are in need. But what we have to remember in light of these movements going on today is signs and wonders never saved anyone. They are to confirm the word of God. Saving faith comes by hearing the word of God, not seeing someone get healed. And we also need to remember you can't fix a world full of broken people. You have to fix broken people in order to change the world. And that will never happen through the social justice movement. Amen. <laughs> I'm having to pause way too often here. I know, we're dealing with heavy stuff and that's okay. We can take it because we're really saved. Amen. John 21, 25, John says, there are so many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written, amen. You know what John is saying? John's saying Jesus did more that was not written than is written. He did more things that never made it into the book. And yet, unlike the Antichrist, the whole world didn't go after him. But the whole world is going to go after the Antichrist. Even after Jesus fed them, 
Even after he healed them, even after he raised from the dead their children, even after he preached the truth to them, they didn't crucify him for what he did. They crucified him for what he said. And in John 10, 31 to 33, the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those good works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For good work we don't stone you, but for what? Blasphemy. And because you, being a man, made yourself, make yourself God. Well, I'm sorry, if you're actually a student of Scripture, Mr. Pharisee, maybe you ought to understand that a God with us, a son born, a child given, is expected to come into the world. Now listen, you can't understand the will of the Lord if you don't know the word of the Lord. And the word says to deny that Jesus is God is to be unsaved. And the word says that God distributes gifts as he wills, not as we wish. The word says signs can deceive, therefore all spirits are to be tested. After all, think about what's coming. In 2 Thessalonians, we're told in 9 uh, through 12, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of who? Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they may all be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Revelation 13 records this and gives further insight in great detail. Now, am I saying signs and wonders are a thing of the past? Absolutely not. The Lord doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and does He still heal today? Yes. Absolutely. He still does everything He has always done because He is still who He has always been. And it's funny today how the woke church is often every other area when they wander off into wonders and prosperity, signs and wonders and prosperity movements. Why is that? Because it's the same thing with the social gospel. In the social gospel, man takes center stage. In the awake church, Christ is center stage, and he is the focus of our attention. The woke church focuses on feelings and emotions. The awake church focuses on the word of God. The woke church demands people get what they deserve. The awake church is thankful that they don't. Amen. And there is so much foolishness in the church today, and it could all be corrected and redirected by one thing, preach the word. And that's all the world needs today, the church needs today. So let's just wrap it up with a quick look again at 18 to 21. And do not be drunk with wine. Does that mean you can get drunk on whiskey and beer? No. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. That word means unsavedness. In other words, this is a practice amongst the unsaved. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, again, this is one of those hotly debated issues in the church. But the Bible's clear. 
And the only reason people debate this issue is because they don't like what it says. You know, I want to do what I want. And I want grace to just, you know, I've told you before, I'll say it again this morning, don't ever put on social media that grace covers your sin. Grace doesn't cover your sin. Blood covers your sin. Grace sent Jesus to die for your sin, but without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Now, drunkenness is listed among the works of the flesh in Galatians 5. And in 19 to 21, Galatians says, now the works of the flesh are evident, they're outward, they're visible, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, meaning to have a party spirit, and the like, of which I told you beforehand, just as I told you in time, in time past, that those who, big word next, what's the next word? Practice. Practice those things, such things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Practice means unrepentantly. Now, because of what follows this, the reminder of God's prohibition against drunkenness that we find in 1 Corinthians 6.10, and the mention of how we speak to one another should remind us that the Bible describes the drunkard is a wine tattler. And what that implies is that wine or alcohol loosens the lips and causes people to say things they would never say while sober. So Paul says, instead of that being a non-filter for your words, let the Spirit direct what you say. And speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs as unto the Lord. Listen, I think we would all readily agree that people have done and said things when they're drunk that they'd never do when they're sober. And Paul says, that's not supposed to be in the church. That's not how we're supposed to act. That's not part of walking perfectly. Now, being filled with the Spirit, however, brings the opposite verbal reaction. Instead of words and deeds that are fruitless and common, Amongst the unsaved, psalms, hymns, and singing to the Lord and giving thanks to God, the Father, in Jesus' name. That's a more fitting practice for the saints. That's how we ought to be operating in this world. And that's why Colossians tells us, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, look at the similarity here, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatever, say whatever, Whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, this is crucially important, I think, especially in this time that we recognize Paul would write to his city about the things that particular church was struggling with. So obviously there was a problem with alcohol here in the city of Corinth and how he has dealt uh, also with the letter to Ephesus and other uh, in Galatians where we see these things being mentioned. These were societal things that the church was supposed to not practice. Now, newsflash, Christians mess up. Christians fall. Christians make poor decisions. Christians do, are you going to get on board here or what? Yeah. Christians do dumb things. Yeah. Christians sin. Yeah. But a Christian never says, I have the right to do those sins. A Christian will repent of those things. Now, our closer for this day 
is just a reminder of something we mentioned before, and it's fitting for our time together. And that is that the Holy Spirit will never endorse or condone the works of the flesh. He's never going to say, you know what? So you got a party spirit. Everybody has problems. Everybody has struggles. No, that's not fitting. That's not appropriate behavior for somebody who calls himself a Christian. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Listen, he's not talking about earning your salvation or even deserving your salvation. He's talking about reflecting Jesus. And to live in a manner where someone could say, man, you <laughs> just remind popped in my head. This just in. <laughs> Terry and I uh, walked it. We were at, I forget what we were at. We were at a, might have been at a memorial service or something. A big church that we used to go to and be a part of. And we walked in and we walked around the corner. And there's this lady, you know, think about uh, from an old movie, somebody dressed like a gypsy. And that's exactly what this lady looked like. And we, we knew her and had known her for many, many years. But something happened. And anyway, we, we walked around the corner and this lady says, Whoa, man, you guys are putting out a lot of light. Well, thank you. I mean, I don't think she was talking about what we're supposed to be. But you know what? That's what people ought to say about us. Man, what's with you? You, you are so different. Why? You know, Peter, in 1 Peter 4, he said, you know, we spent a lot, enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness and drunkenness and all those things. And he said, you know, they're going to think it's strange that you don't walk with them or run with them in the same flood of dissipation, meaning the acts of the unsaved. Now listen, to the woke church, sobriety is a work unnecessary for salvation since we're saved by grace. To the awake church, sobriety is evidence of the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, I've told you before, and I'll share again this morning uh, as we start the second hour of our message. <laughs> I had a terrible time shaking the booze. Even after getting my life and coming back from my decade of prodigal living, you know, dropped the drugs, dropped the cigarettes, instant. But man, I had to fight to get rid of the booze. And was I saved? Yeah, absolutely. And did God deliver some things instantaneously? Yes, he did. But the booze, it took some time to, to win that battle. And the point is this, the Proverbs tell us, uh, tell us in 26 that the righteous may fall seven times, but he rises again. And you know, that's what I was doing during that four-year season where I was trying to shake that stuff. I was falling and rising, falling and rising and falling and rising. And let me say to you today, if you're having a struggle with drugs and you fell recently, get up. Don't stay down. If you're struggling with booze, get up and don't stay down. If you fell in pornography recently, get up and don't stay down. Don't do it again. I went through this over and over and over and over until finally it was done. And I'm free indeed. You know? I can walk the booze aisle in the grocery store now and not be intimidated or tempted. It means nothing to me. And what I used to think, I, I thought this over and over and over, at least a billion times I thought this. That's hyperbole, obviously. How am I supposed to stay sober for the rest of my life? Come on, for the rest of my life? Never drink again? That's idiocy. Who could do that? Well, I'll tell you, me. <laughs> Through 
Christ who strengthens me. Listen, I thought it unimaginable, but now I couldn't imagine ever taking a drink. It's repulsive to me. And I used to think about it all day, every day. I used to time everything I did. I used to measure my drives for the number of beers I need to take. That's a two-beer drive. It's a four-beer drive. This one's a half-pint drive, or this or that. That stuff to me now is just sickening. And the devil can't use that against me ever, ever again, because I have been made free. And the Holy Spirit's never going to endorse or condone such behavior because it darkens the church, which is the world's only source of light. Amen. Think about this. Who's the temple of the Holy Spirit? We are. When Jesus was here, he said, I am the light of the world. So he sent us another helper, according to John 14, and the word another means one of the same kind, or one just like him. So he sent us the spirit of the true and living God to dwell in us because he is now seated at the right hand of majesty on high, living daily as our intercession. And therefore, he could say, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill should not be hidden, nor should in your home should you put the light on or cover it with a bushel, but it ought to be on a lampstand where it gives light to everyone in the house. We're the light of our homes and we're the light of the world and there is no other source. So he's not saying, you know, if you fell, you're out. He's saying, if you fell, the candle flickered. So get up and shine. Don't stay down in the mud. It covers your ability to glow. Get up again. Keep moving forward. Even if you fall seven times, rise again. And I believe the message of the Lord today is awake those who are asleep to these things. And Christ will give you light. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. And Father, we are grateful this morning for your word. Thank you for putting the tough stuff in there too. And Lord, I thank you for these dear saints who aren't afraid to look at it and don't run from it, but recognize it as truth. And help us, Lord, not to just hear these things, but to be doers of your word. Especially when so many who bear the title church are saying these behaviors are completely acceptable within the only source of light of the world when your word says exactly the opposite is true. So help us, Lord, to realize not everybody's going to like us and they're not going to like our message because they didn't even like you, the one who came to save us. So give us that boldness, Lord, when we pray. Shake us, God, that we would speak the word of God with boldness in a time where it's being rejected more than it ever has before. And we thank you, Lord, that we are alive to see these things, knowing that the day and hour of your return is at hand. Help us to have a sense of urgency to tell people about Jesus, that God is salvation everywhere we go. We pray these things in the name above all others, the name of our Lord Yeshua and Savior. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.